This is episode number 32 with the founder of Upper Deck Training, Jeff Leach. In this episode, Jeff takes us through a typical day at Upper Deck Training. He has a throwing program where he has his uh, players use weighted balls. Uh, They use driveline, an uh, abbreviated version, as well as the Texas Baseball Ranch. He also has a bat speed program where they do overload, underload training. And he has certain drills that he explains that he has each player do. They've seen some really good results in terms of increasing exit velocity. Um, I think you guys are really going to get some good technical uh, tips on how to improve your mechanics and who to study in terms of just following on who to follow on social media and who to watch video of. Jeff really breaks it down in this episode, and I think you guys will get a ton of value. So without further ado, here's Jeff Leach. We are now live with Jeff Leach. This is the road to the show. I am Patrick Jones. Jeff, how's it going today? I'm good, Patrick. Uh, appreciate you having me. Not a problem. So you started out, I want to give a little bit of background on you. You started out, you played college baseball at McMurray University, correct? Right. And then after- had, a, had a cup of coffee. Uh, you know, I always say that uh, no one would uh, train with me based on my abilities as a baseball player. Um, you know, I, I was a, uh, a speed athlete. So, um, you know, I, I ran track growing up. I was a fast guy. So, you know, every coach that ever had wanted me to hit the ball on the ground, uh, wanted me to play small ball, um, and beat things out. And I basically was, was able to make up for an, a very average at best bats with, um, uh, with some pretty good defense. I was a center fielder. So, you know, I could go get it a little bit, and that's what helped me uh, kind of make it. So that's uh, that's how I played a little bit. And then after that, did you know then that you wanted to become a coach, like during your college career, <laughs> or after after you went to college? Um, what did you end up doing after that? Yeah, so I uh, actually spent uh, almost ten years trying to search and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, so got out, uh, got out of school, and actually my, my father had worked at a big uh, insurance company in San Antonio for 25 years, and he's like, hey, you should you know, do, do the route that I was going on. So, so that's what I did. I got the corporate job, and you know, I was making decent money, and, and every time I kind of thought about getting out of that life, I would get either a new job or a promotion to a better job within the industry. So, you know, I, I really had no... Um, I really didn't love what I was doing, but I had no recourse to get out of, of where I was. And so, you know, my son, uh, Chris, uh, the freshman uh, or sophomore in college, uh, he's playing at uh, Hartford, which is in Maryland. He started, uh, he showed no interest in baseball at all when he was a younger player. Uh, he played t-ball. And we moved across town. And so to get him uh, some friends, we he's kind of, hey, go to middle school next year, you know, you meet some kids. Once you play Little League, and he did, I didn't even coach him the first year because I was so busy. Um, wasn't really thrilled with you know, the, the level of coaching, um, the guidance. Uh, I started helping out with practices, started to run practices. And next year, started coaching his team, and that's really what kind of started it. I, I had people give me comments like, man, you, you do really good practices. I wish that you were running my high school 
see for my son, because your practice are better than the high school practices, and I started getting asked if I could do private lessons, and I was saying no initially and kind of brushing it off, and then finally eventually started taking on lessons um, and started training players, so that was, that was my breaking. And then you ended up going to DBAT in San Antonio, correct? Yeah, so I was at a different training facility and uh, had, had moved up from a guy that was doing just independent lessons to being head of instruction for them and then got recruited to come over here at uh, DBAT. So I've been with DBAT Sports and DBAT uh, San Antonio now for about four years. Do you have any interest in coaching in college or professionally? Uh, I, you know, I've thought about it. I've actually had some interest in uh, interviewing some from for uh, professional organizations, but, um, you know, married, a uh, family of, of four, one on the way. So I think the professional or traveling lifestyle would be difficult uh, to manage. So that's why I've kind of settled into to training in a training facility environment. Uh, I do coach uh, in the summer high school teams um, for an organization here, but uh, I don't know, just be a, Possibly a difficult transition. You know, I don't want to be divorced. I'd rather have a happy family and be married <laughs> and coach baseball, you know? I, I understand. And then it was this past year where you started upper deck training, correct? Yeah. So two years ago, I was uh, just strictly doing private lessons. I did almost 1,500 lessons. And then I did, on top of that, camps and clinics. So it was my full time, and I was able to step away. I joined Diamond Kinetics uh, for the last few years, and uh, was able to step away from doing full time uh, lessons. and And during that time, really started to look around and see what else was out there. and And I had always felt like I was missing the boat uh, with private lessons. I couldn't get players. You know, I was you know kind of expensive for a private lesson coach. And it was really difficult for players to come and see me enough that I could get changes to stick for a player. I really needed an environment where I could get players to come in more often, and I could also hit them with different styles of training to supplement what I was providing just as a, a swing coach, basically. And so um, founded Upper Deck uh, here at DBAP, so that's, uh, that's the progression. What, so what specifically do you do with Upper Deck? Is it like um, a membership where guys come in multiple times a week, or how does it work? Yeah, so it's a, it's a small group training, um, you know, basically program. Uh, the way I think it's, it's more of a holistic approach to training a baseball players. So, you know, we look at uh, the tools that are required for a position player or for a pitcher and we try to maximize them, you know, kind of to improve their on-field performance. So, you know, from a, a hitting perspective, right, I'm looking at their uh, swing mechanics of the coordination. I'm looking at uh, their recovery their mobility, their strength. Um, you know, I, I want to apply uh, game simulation and competition to their training. We're going to do performance tracking, vision training. We're going to focus on their intent and their approach. So, um, you know, all that being said, we have a performance training side, a hitting training side, and a throwing program. Those are the three main focuses of upper deck. And then within that, there's different aspects, of course. So, Do you guys implement... Uh, the weighted ball program for the arm care and velocity training? Yeah, so we, we do use a lot of tools, uh, both from uh, we follow uh, programming from Driveline and from the Texas Baseball Ranch. So, you know, we've kind of put uh, two different aspects of what they do together. So 
you know, we definitely use uh, the weighted ball program. Um, and a lot of the protocols that they developed. So, you know, primarily we're focused on arm care and making sure the guys are healthy and that their arms are durable. And then the byproduct of that, of course, is hopefully that they start throwing the ball better. And then we also, you know, work in command training as well. Um, that's been kind of the big, a big, big criticism of the weighted ball program is that guy's so hard, but don't necessarily learn to locate. So we focus on, uh, command training as, as much as we do on velocity build as well. What does command training consist of? Like what, what are you guys doing to help, help with command? So it depends on the, the kind of the level of the athlete. Um, with our younger guys, we focus basically on throwing. So it's, it's coordination of movement and then creating uh, some targeting within um, specific parameters. So for example, a, a high school, college, professional player has got to throw the ball, you know, 17 inches across the plate, whereas a younger throwing athlete is going to throw maybe to an L screen or to a much larger target. And we're going to focus on them coordinating their movement so that they can be more accurate. And then I'll differentiate it saying, well, one day we're going to throw from a shorter distance. One day we're going to throw from a longer distance. One day we're going to throw on this spot of the mound or that spot of the mound, or we're going to focus on throwing to a specific part of the target rather than just a specific area, uh, like down the middle. Uh, we're also going to differentiate our training by uh, changing the weight of the ball. So I'm not going to go into a really heavy baseball, but a simple on the load of a four-ounce ball or a five-ounce game weight or a six-ounce ball will give enough differentiation of weight that they can learn to uh, throw and have uh, different mechanics or a, a different locations based on their intent and their body will adapt to what they're using. How old can you be to start this um, arm care and velocity training? Is it high school kids or can you start it when you're even younger? No, we have a youth program. Um, so what we'll do differently with our youth guys is we'll be very careful in both the volume of training and also on the, the weights or the intent uh, that the player has while using those weights. So, Instead of, for example, using a full-out 110% run-and-gun throw with a weighted ball, with our young guys, we may do uh, mound work from a shorter distance um, and throw plyo walls uh, to a target, focusing on that. So um, instead, we, we mostly focus with our young guys on the recovery aspects of the throwing program and developing the habits, uh, Jaeger bands, and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, we want to make sure that they're building up safe and effective uh, throwing mechanics using weighted balls. So, And then essentially for the for your bat speed uh, program, isn't the same concept where it's overload-underload training? Yeah, I mean, so we kind of look at every single thing that we could for a hitter and incorporate all those types of training. So, you know, from vision training, uh, intended approach, we do use overload and underload. So for that, I'll use either balance bats or we have uh, our own bats here, which are uh, heavy bats, uh, log bats, which are, you know, uh, essentially five ounce overload compared to a traditional weighted bat. So there's something, something heavier. We'll also vary the location of the weight in the bat. So with a balance bat, it's going to be a counterweighted bat. Weight is more in the knob than necessarily in the barrel for some of the uh, bats we use. And then we'll use an end weighted bat, or we'll use, uh, we'll put a weight like a hitting jacket in the middle of the bat. So it's a little bit more balanced. It's still adding substantial weight to the bat. So, um, and then for underload, 
we use either a short bat, a fungal bat, um, or a specific underload bat. So it's uh, created to be, you know, five to ten ounces uh, lower overall dead weight than a regular baseball bat that the player will use. So if I'm just a, a regular kid listening to this, could you could you essentially go like make a penny bat as a heavy bat and then swing a fungo and then use your regular yeah. bat as well? We uh, so we'll do a couple of different things with like the youth player. It's really hard to find unload bats for youth guys. So softball bats um, are great because softball bats will uh, mimic the length of a baseball bat, especially for younger guys. Uh, but you can find them in an underload weight that will be comparable uh, comparable to the overload. The overload really seems to be easy to find. It's the underload that's heavy. Uh, taping bats, penny bats. Uh, so you guys use quarters. So taping in surrounding bats so that it creates a little end load over the sweet spot of the bat is really good. Um, and then we'll also use a lot of just mini tools, uh, bat weights and such, to manipulate the weight of the bat. How many swings are you supposed to take with the he- overload heavy bat and then light bat and regular bat? Like, how does that how does that work? You know, it's a really difficult question. It's a good question, um, but difficult to answer. I like to mix in overload and underload in every aspect of training. So uh, in everything that we do, I will often do one drill using a light bat, the next drill using heavy bat. We'll stick between an 8 to 12 swing range um, with a lot of our drill series uh, using overload and underload. I've seen a lot of guys do, uh, I want to take 50 swings a day using a heavy 50 swings a day, using a light bat 50 swings a day, using their game bat. And I've definitely seen that produce results. So, you know, for a younger player or a amateur coach, that can be a really effective way of getting in some overload underload training, get in your garage, your backyard, take uh, 50 swings with each one a day, which is actually a pretty big ask for most players. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's no small feat. How many days a right. week? How many days a week do you do this program? So Upper Deck, uh, you know, we, we operate five days a week. Our players come in two to three days per week usually. Um, you know, and so when a player comes in, I usually encourage them that it's really hard to make substantial gains in training without coming in multiple days a week. Um, you need to lift um, or have mobility training. Uh, you need to have um, the way we do. So the way we do mechanics training is where a lot of our stuff, I say I'm miyagi hitter, right? I'm going to have them do a – med ball progression to teach them movement so that it's more of an implicit training than an explicit training of coordinating or swing mechanics uh, in their movement. So for that to sink into their system and overcome their uh, motor skill development, they have to do it more often. They have to come in a little bit more regularly. So um, we'll basically assess a player and they'll normally say, well, you know, I think I can come in two days a week. For a player that needs a lot of work, um, they have kind of a long road to, say, high-level uh, performance, I may recommend that player. I need to see three or four days a week and not be shy about saying, look, there's, there's just a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, if you really want to be a committed player, say, in college or whatever, it's going to take you really coming and investing your time to figure it out. And then do you guys take uh, the radar gun to measure exit velocity to see if the overload underload training is working throughout the process. Yeah. Measure what you treasure. Um, we will use, so we use our radar guns. We'll also use, I'm very fortunate to have a hit tracks, which most people can't use. Um, and we use swing tracker as well. So, uh, 
Um, so very simply, um, if you're looking at pieces that you can use that aren't as expensive, uh, you can use uh, any one of the swing uh, measurement devices. Uh, I have a preference for Swing Tracker from Diamond Kinetics. It just gives you a lot of information that a player can use, tracks your speed, your quickness, uh, your power, your control. Um, and that's at a price point of $150 or less. Uh, Smart Bats integrating it around $200. Bucks. Um, a radar gun is, uh, you can get some for a couple hundred. Um, we have used the uh, Swing Radar. Uh, the ball coach, I believe the version is called, is about two to three hundred dollars, uh, which is good radar uh, within one or two mile an hour of a stalker, stalker two, which we also use um, for ball speed. Uh, the difficulty in doing it with a hitter is that you really have to make sure that the radar gun is aligned to the ball that's leaving the bat to make sure it's accurate, which is why I prefer, if you can, to use a swing track or a Rapsodo unit so that it's giving you ball exit, launch, distance, and uh, we track and measure it for all of our players. So that's how I know we're being effective. We don't guess, we measure. So um, I was I was hearing a little bit that the swing tracks was having trouble. It was like breaking down a lot. Have you guys had that problem at all, or has yours been pretty uh, stable? No, I mean, they have great customer service uh, at, at – uh, I'm kinetic, so I, I mean I haven't had it a lot. Um, obviously, all tech is going to have it, difficulties. Um, there's going to be times when the unit won't pair, uh, and this one's using all the technology. You know, it won't pair. I have hit tracks, which is extremely expensive, and I'll have uh, issues where that system goes down on me, and I have to reboot it and restart it. So you know, with any technology you use, there's always a little bit of drawback. It takes a little bit of time to set it up. There's a learning curve in order to figure it out. And also difficulty in how to actually apply what you learn into it. So I try to keep it really simple, use it as a bat speed tool primarily, uh, and then use some of the 3D technology with Diamond Kinetics to track the swing path or plane, stuff like that. So, so you have all this technology. You're able to get the metrics for the swing. How do you know what type of mechanics um, your hitter needs to have? So I really did a lot of self-study, and I tell people all the time, I teach hitting 180 degrees different than I did when I started. Um, I was very much like most coaches. Um, I taught the way I was taught. I taught hitting mechanics as they were uh, explained to me, and a lot of it made logical sense, right? I taught getting my hands and my barrel to go straight down or 45-degree angles with my mind thoughts contact. I thought that was the most efficient path, straight path between hand, barrel, and balls, a straight line. So that's the first thing I taught. And I started, uh, when I got into coaching, since I spent a lot of time away from the game, I spent a lot of time investing on how to be a coach and what the best were teaching. And so for me, um, I'm trying to do a couple of things with hitters. My fundamentals are I want a hitter to be connected. Um, I want them to learn how to launch the baseball. I want them to improve their timing. I want them to have a good swing path. Um, when I'm working with a hitter, I basically say my philosophy with them is that I want them to be athletic, and I want to have the intent to drive the baseball. That's the focus that I explain to the hitter. And then through our training, I'm hoping to focus on those four fundamentals, so connection, launch, timing, and path. I see a lot of youth players, uh, seems like they always are pulling their front shoulder out and their head out a lot. 
Um, I'm yeah. sure you, you see that too. Is uh, you have any drills to help fix that? Yeah. So for me, that's a disconnected hitter. So um, for me, that's an upper body start uh, or a hand uh, to the baseball focus, which a lot of times is causing the issue. So. You know, for me, I'm going to do a lot of things to sequence the body. I'll do a lot of movement drills. Uh, so drills that you can look up, uh, stretch and fire, uh, flamingo drill, uh, happy Gilmore or hover drills. Uh, we'll teach the body to sequence. Um, I like a lot of scoop tosses with med balls. So with a scoop toss, essentially they're going to hold a med ball. They're going to load it behind them. So they're going to counter, uh, rotate their shoulders. And then when they start their swing, you'll see that they automatically start to sequence their lower body. Their shoulder will stay closed. Their upper body will lag behind the lower body slightly, creating more power and a more athletic swing and should fix the issues of the shoulder coming out. So so do you think that all, all the old school type of um, ways of hitting that they everyone used, get the foot down early, um, that sort of thing, that's out the window now? Uh, I would say that a lot of the old cues work with the right and tenor focus. The problem is that a lot of times we're giving cues to players and they don't exactly know how to interpret those cues. Um, so they're left with, uh, either misunderstanding of what the coach's real intent is, or very honestly, a lot of times the explicit intent of the drill, what the coach wants them to do is, is counterproductive or, or, uh, a mistaken approach to hitting. So, the way I used to do it with coaches, uh, in fact, is I used to have coaches that wanted to come and either coach for me or coach with me, and I would have them explain their hitting philosophy, and then I would have them film their own swing and then explain to me that the, the swing camps they thought they were teaching, and, you know, based upon their, their visual, their swing, it was based on their best swing. Show me yourself doing what you're saying you're doing. Right. And a lot of times they would have pause. They would say, well, you know, you can see my swing going down. I'd go, hold on. But your swing is actually going up and, and matching the plane of the pitch, for example. And they would say, oh, really? That's, that's different. I didn't know I was doing that. And that would get us into a discussion of real versus uh, feel mechanics or um, get us down the road of, of what are the, I guess, proper swing mechanics and what should be uh, teaching to our players. I love that. That's such a good idea to have the, the coach film themselves and then look at their own swing. Um, that's that's a really good idea. I was at my facility last night, and we were yeah. I was with one of my buddies, uh, Dan Rizzi, who was, he was actually on the show earlier, and we saw a coach who was literally teaching his kid to chop straight down with the barrel, swing you know straight yeah. down, and I kid you not, the very next pitch – if the kid would just have taken a normal swing, he would have hit the ball, but the ball was past him and his barrel was coming top down. He completely missed it because of that. And it just kind of goes to show you that there's still so many people out there who, I don't know if they're just not putting the time in or they just, they're so set in their ways that they just, they don't, they think they know everything. How do you, how do you get across to somebody who's like teach, still teaching that old school way of hitting? Well, you know, first I like to put them um, on people that aren't me, right? I mean, the best way for people to sell what you do is for it to not come from you. So I'll point them towards people that I think have a good idea or studied it, uh, studied the swing. So I'll put them on, you know, uh, 
a Bobby Kingsbury or a Chad Tippett or a um, Jason Ochar. I mean, the list goes on and on of guys that I think really have figured out. What I find to be very interesting to me is that a lot of the highest performing players that I know that became coaches are some of the ones that are refusing to go look up new information and to research the, the, the best practices as far as either learning, teaching, or understanding uh, proper swing mechanics or swing instruction. Um, whereas if you have a player that struggled uh, or a coach that struggled with a player like I did, I wanted to learn why I struggled. I wanted to learn better ways. I, I didn't want to teach players to be me. I wanted them to be better than me, much better than me. And so that took me down the journey of, of figuring it out. I, I also encourage guys to look at other sports. Um, the way people teach golf is very different than we teach baseball. They're, uh, they do a lot of uh, you know line drawing, a lot of swing plane analysis, and a lot of sequencing of the swing because golf is a very difficult sport for most people to just pick up the bat or, or golf club and start swinging and having success. So I looked at the way they teach golf and all the studies on golf swing and golf mechanics and started to apply a lot of that to baseball. So I'll even do that. I'll say, go read five lessons from Ben Hogan or other great books along that to give you different perspectives on movement. So essentially you were, you brought up the former successful players who, who aren't playing anymore. I was, I followed Chipper Jones on Twitter and I feel like he's one of those guys. I know him and Donaldson got into it the other day. I don't know if you saw that or not. Yeah, I did. And Frank Thomas too. It's, it's, I don't know. I guess you make a good point. I guess when you have success and you think you've done it one way your whole career. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. But I mean, at the same time, right? If I have a high school kid that plays for me, uh, one of my best hitters this summer felt like he swung down and stayed on top of the baseball. And, and I'm not going to change that kid's mindset to say, no, 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 hold on. What you think you do is not actually what you do. You actually swing up through the baseball. So part of it is players are having success and, and they need to perceive the swing whatever way is best for them. Um, I do believe in, in launching the baseball. We, you know, that's one of the focuses of upper deck in, in my training is we focus on launching and hitting the ball in the air. But some players need to think, I'm going to hit a low line drive in games and in practice. Some of my guys need to think at 30 degrees, and that's what makes them most successful. So it just depends. I, I know professional players that absolutely 100% know they swing up through the baseball, uh, matching the plane of the pitch, but feel swing down. Eucalyptus uh, is a guy that came out with uh, in an article, I think, last year. It says he definitely knows he swings up, but has the feet swing down to be successful. There are players that have to do that. So as a coach, I'm blending my approach and what I know about the swing with the feel of the hitter and the intent to figure out what's best for them. So you're saying that sometimes you could, you might even use this, the old cue of um, staying inside the ball if you think you would, that would help one of your players? 100%. I mean, it, 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 whatever helps that player, um, whatever cue sticks for that player, I would say there are no bad players, or no bad cues. All cues work some of the time. Uh, there's just not a cue that works for everyone all the time. So some player may think, you know, stay on top of the baseball. For example, let's say he's dumping the barrel, especially with younger players. A lot of them, they, they're without instruction. They want to hit the ball in the air. 
So a lot of times you'll see them severely drop their back shoulder or drop their hands off their shoulder for an uppercut swing, and they get too under the plane of the pitch. For that player, I may tell him to be more on top of the baseball or I more work on an intent of hitting a low-line drive or ground ball in order to fix his path. But with most players that are steep, I'm going to tell them the exact opposite. I want you to hit this ball into the roof. I want you to hit it as far as possible. I want you to imagine you're getting it 300 feet over a mountain, whatever it takes to change that player's path. Uh, if I have a player that is severely outside in, like your example, I may tell him to stay inside or to go oppo with the baseball in order to change his path. It's really whatever works for him. If I'm if I'm in the box and I'm I'm hitting, what cue should I use? Should I, I know Donaldson says he doesn't think about getting his foot down. He thinks about just getting it up. Um, is that the same same thing where it's going to be different for each player what your cue is when you're actually in the box facing a live pitcher? It's amazing because people that watch me uh, coaching side, they don't think I talk enough. They don't coach enough. And, and really, um, I'm going to limit any cues to one cue. And usually it's going to be an external cue, which means I want them to focus on maybe where they're hitting it or a cue to slow down their pace. So, for example, um, if I have a player step in the box and he's early on the pitch, I might tell him that I want them to see the ball deeper or slow his timing down um, or see the ball longer. Um, those are external cues focusing on where he's going to hit it. So if he's focused on hitting more to right side of the field, he's going to stay a little bit closed a little bit longer. He's going to start a swing later, for example. Um, let's say a kid popped the ball up. Well, if I looked at him and said that he popped it up because he swung under the baseball, he was chopping on it, I may tell him, hey, I want you to try to hit it over that or remind him of his launch angle cue so that he starts to get that uh, thought process of connecting the barrel to the ball path a little bit more effectively so he's on plane rather than being on top. What about kids who are, they, they seem so robotic in the box. I see this a lot with high school kids. They just, it's, it's one movement, it's just straight back, and then the hands, they aren't moving or anything, they just go right to the ball. Yeah, that's a hard one, and that's a hard one because a lot of that has to be coached out of them in the cage. They have to be in an environment that encourages athletic swings. A lot of time, the kid's athletic in the box because he's athletic in practice. And so it's, it's really hard. You'll get players that I, I just call them their, their uh, statues, right? They stand yeah. there. There's no loading. There's no movement. There's no rhythm of their body, and they're just going to take their hands at the baseball. Uh, punchy swing, not a lot of pop. So with those players, I'll generally tell them, like, you know, hey, give me a good swing. Show me a big, give me a big movement here, out of the box, in between swings. You know, give me a big swing. Usually if I say give, them a, give me a big swing, you'll see that they'll create more athletic movement. Um, and that's, that's a difficult thing. A lot of people don't want to teach players to have bigger movements, um, to be more athletic. They want to condense the swing down into really unathletic movements. And that creates that type of hitter. So ideally, you do you always want your hands to be moving um, in the box? Like as the pitch is coming, you want your hands to be going back or up so it's not just at uh, you? Yeah, that's a good question, and that's, that's a hard one to answer as well. I, you know, I do want their hands to be moving, but uh, let's say somebody drops their hands like a David Ortiz 
um, or a Josh Donaldson's got a big barrel tip. So that player, I may not want his hands to move back so much as I want his hands to move up okay. and load the barrel deeper and more behind him. Um, saying hands back can be a good cue or a really bad cue. It can lead to arm barring and getting really long with their swing, or it can lead to some slight counter rotation or some loading of the back arm, like a stack loading movement. It depends on how the player interprets that cue. If a kid wants to um, have his mechanics improved greatly, he doesn't have access to facilities and things like that, who should he be watching online and try to imitate? Uh, I love, so I mean, the list is, is so long, but, um, you know, guys that I specifically really like, I mean, you know, obviously sometimes you can just track the best hitters in the game, but Joey Votto has great movement in his swing. I, I just love the efficiency of his pattern. Um, you know, Chris Davis, I love He's kind of a smaller guy with a lot of pop, Aaron Judge, Donaldson with the big tips. Um, you know, I had players 12 years old that swing to replicate the Josh Donaldson move because that was the best pattern for them. Um, Harper has great intent and really powerful swing, and he's got a lot of moving parts, but I don't think that a player looking at his athleticism can really go wrong, right? Um, Griffey was more simple with his swing, but, I mean, obviously, when I was growing up, he was the dude and still is. Um, you can't have a hitting conversation without saying Barry Bonds, of course, uh, Will Clark, uh, Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle. I mean, you know, I'm very passionate about all these guys. I think you can look at hitters um, from the from the past and see what they did and apply it to hitting today. I don't think there's a new swing. I think it's a lot of um, what, what is good for older players, what's good for today's best, is very classic. Um, a lot of blend with those. Older players tend to have bigger movements. Younger players or, or players now have a little stiffer movements, but you can still find guys with a ton of athleticism, like a David Ortiz and a Josh Donaldson today's game, which mimics guys of the past. So, I've seen those are those are just a list of guys that came in my brain, man. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, speaking of David Ortiz, I know that David Ortiz, they a lot of people do that Ortiz drill where you're you take your hands to your front knee and then back up to hit to create that like rubber band yeah. effect. Um, what are your, what are yeah. some of your favorite drills that you like doing that you feel like you do with a lot of your players? So yeah, time depends. We've got uh, like four different days of training, right? So I, I focus mine around my four kind of pillars, right? So we'll do our connection day where I'll do kind of a stretch and fire, um, which I've already mentioned. Uh, we'll do some uh, Happy Gilmore. So basically, if you watch the movie, you're just going to hold your bat. You're going to take your three steps, walk up load your hands, hit it hard. Um, I'm going to do, uh, let's say, in our launch day, we're going to focus on, let's say, a low tee with a short bat so I can really focus on uh, posture. I'm going to work on a high tee with a heavy bat so I can work on being a little flatter and turning more like a merry-go-round. Whereas on the low pitch, my body can rotate more like a Ferris wheel. Um, on my path drills, I'll do a drill. I call it the Tommy drill. It's one of my favorites where in order to create more depth of the swing, I'll have them step like they're stepping in the bucket, stepping open with their lower half. And if they don't load their hands, create scap load or depth, they'll actually pull off the pitch doing this drill. So uh, it's it's creating depth of their swings. I learned to load their hands and stay through the ball a little bit better. It will also help them keep their shoulder closed, like your question before, um, closed on an inside pitch um, or with 
movement like they would have on an inside pitch where they're really opening up a lot with their lower head and upper half. Awesome answer. You're bringing some really good um, answers here. I really appreciate that. One last question. If you, are there, is there one player in the major leagues who you watch and say, man, if I could work with him, I feel like he could take off and be a, not, I wouldn't say a superstar, but a really, really good player, but he's just mechanically doing some things wrong right now. Oh, um, there's, I mean, there's a couple. I think that uh, Hayward is, uh, is so athletic. I think that guy is amazingly athletic. And I think that, um, you know, he gets really steep, he gets really handy. So Jason Hayward is one. Um, I commented this a couple of days ago that, uh, you know, I think that, um, uh, uh, God, Royal, first baseman. Oh, Hosmer? Hosmer, golly, I don't know why. But uh, I think, I think Hoss, he hits a lot of balls in the forehead. I personally think of the posture issue. I think he does. He turns a little tall, which forces him to be a little steep into the path, and he hits a lot of balls in the forehead. So this is a guy that hit almost 320 last year with 25 bombs, who I think could be a guy that maintains a high average but doubles his extra base hits, doubles and home runs with a simple either intent change to hit the ball um, in the air more or a simple mechanical change, a postural issue is what I think it is. So... I think it could be a really quick change, and those are guys that I would, I would love to work with personally. Um, but the, I mean, there's a lot of guys that I think have something to improve upon. It's very rare. I think Bryce Harper's steep a lot, uh, and Harper's been an MVP, um, one of the best hitters in the game. So I, I think there's very rare a perfect hitter in the world, but but those are three guys that I think with small changes could be. Um, like true, true superstar Hall of Fame elite hitters. And, I mean, at least one of those with Harper is, is probable of doing that anyway. So, Well, Jeff, if I ever see Hosmer and Hayward, I'll make sure to uh, send them down to you so you can get some work in with them. <laughs> that would be that'd be amazing. I love it. I love the opportunity. But, you know, I'm, I'm super excited and pumped up to work with, you know, my youth guys, my high school guys, my college guys. That's really kind of my dream and passion, so. All right, so, Jeff. Uh, yeah, send my way, but I'm good. Jeff Leach, Upper Deck Training. Jeff, really appreciate you coming on today. You brought some really, really good information for all these guys out here. Patrick, really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. 